So joining us today, uh, uh, our guest speaker, Professor Pankaj Jain. He is an internationally recognized academic leader in sustainability, Jain studies, film studies, and diaspora studies. He is a professor of philosophy and religious studies and is heading Indic studies at Frame University, Pune. Earlier, he was the founding co-chair of India Initiatives Group and associate professor in the Department of Philosophy and Religion at the University of North Texas, a Taiwan American university. He holds a PhD from the University of Iowa and an MA from Columbia University, both in religious studies. His BE was in computer science from Karnataka University, India. Professor Jain has over 25 years of work experience in both academia and industry. He is currently working on his fourth monograph, Modern Jainism, a historical approach co-editing the Encyclopedia of Hinduism and a volume of Indian and Western philosophical concepts in religion. In addition, he compiled Jain's and Hindu's history in America for his third monograph, Dharma in America, a short history of Hindu Jain diaspora. He also he is also the author of the award-winning Dharma and Ecology of Hindu Communities, Sustenance and Sustainability, and Science and Socio-Religious Revolution in India, Moving the Mountain. His articles and quotes have appeared in several academic journals and on the Huffington Post, Washington Post, Times of India, Speaking Tree, and Patheos. In addition, Dr. Jain is widely quoted in various American and Indian media outlets. In July 2020, the New York Times interviewed him. And in 2019, Morgan Freeman interviewed him for the section on Jainism in the National Geographical series, The Story of God. He is a recipient of the Fulbright Nehru Fellowship for Environmental Leadership and Venegren Grant, among many other grants. In addition, he was nominated for the Sustainability Leadership Award for Memnosin Institute. It is our privilege to have you here, Professor Jack. Over to you. Thank you, Ms. Sharma. <clears throat> Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Ms. Sharma. Thank you, uh, Dr. Omar Shankar and uh, the colleagues and staff at SIES College. As I was uh, mentioning, I used to live in Kurla many years ago, so it brings all the memories back as I'm uh, speaking to you all in Cyan uh, through this virtual link that Microsoft Teams has provided us. Uh, so uh, the topic that was given to me is Jainism and sustainability, which has been a topic uh, close to my heart, academic heart, as well as personal life living in America for last uh, more than two decades here. Uh, many, many things, as ma'am was referring to, I think many things are still uh, not fully explored that are coming from Jainism or Hindu, even Hinduism, Buddhism. All three are uh, not as explored widely in America, especially as uh, as other religions are. But even, even among Indic traditions, Jainism remains even minority among minorities uh, in, in America. So today, let's, and, and within India also, in especially in philosophy departments, I think in, across India, Jainism is relatively less known. So it's nice to be able to share what I have discovered all these years, teaching, researching, living, observing Jain community and writing about Jain community over the last uh, several years. Uh, I have compiled my thoughts in a presentation, so I'll share that with you now. So this is the title, this is the presentation that I would like to share with you, Dharma and Ecology. Uh, and this is a you know, image or uh, picture from uh, not, a, not an Indian, not a, not a temple in India, but a temple in Los Angeles, uh, California. So now Jains are at least 100,000 Jains, one lakh Jains 
are in America and they have built magnificent temples across America now, almost 100 temples in America that are dedicated to Jainism, over, over 1000 temples that are dedicated to Hinduism also. But this is an image from a Californian Jain temple uh, for you here. Uh, so before we begin, we have to, I, I would like to remind ourselves, including me, that when we, when we discuss any topic in humanities, social sciences, most of the categories that we are applying are all coming from Western scholars, mostly speaking, especially when we are using English words, right? So what is happening is, uh, as Susan Rodolph had coined this phrase called imperialism of categories, right? So which means that uh, uh, whatever categories that are being applied to non-Western traditions, such as Jainism or Hinduism or Buddhism, uh, the categories are, are, are like this. That, so some examples of these categories that are being applied to us, Max Weber says, that West is agentic, East is fatalistic. Talcott Patterson said, in the West, you achieve status by achievement, whereas in the East, the status comes by birth. John Stuart Mill similarly said, West is a mature civilization, East is a childlike civilization. These are the selections that were taken by Susan Redolph, uh, and she claimed, and she argued, that these categories, these stereotypes, these biases are applied on non-Western cultures even today when we are doing humanities, social sciences, philosophy, and, and all of these subjects that we are, we are doing. So uh, even in, in, in this topic of Jainism and ecology, let's no, I, mean, I try my best not to follow along the Western categories, but to be able to come up with alternative categories, alternative ways of looking at non-Western traditions such as Jainism and, and the rest. Right. So that's with that caveat, let's now take the next slide. So if we look at this 2018 Environmental Performance Index, uh, that ranking puts India at 177. They say, this ranking says that India is doing very bad in, in terms of environmental performance. And all the mostly Euro-American nations, Euro-American countries are doing much better than India because they have better air quality, air quality better water quality and so on. So that's one way of, of measuring the environmental performance. Right? Now, if we change our lens a little bit, if we change this perspective a little bit and try a different uh, way of looking, diff different way of measuring environmental performance, here is an alternative way. What is this alternative? This is coming from the National Geographic magazine. National Geographic did a green index, green index survey of major economies from 2012 to 2018 and 2019. And what they found is that India is the greenest among, among all these major countries such as United States, Canada, Mexico, Russia, UK, France, Germany, Australia, Brazil, China, compared to all other countries, India is the India has the least carbon footprint. So India is the greenest. So the two two ways of looking at the environmental performance right here are are can be really compared and contrasted, right? So one says India is at 177th rank because of the low air quality or poor water quality. But when it comes to carbon footprint, India is the greenest. Indian uh, consumption or destruction of natural resources is the least compared to even China or Brazil, which are which are sometimes clubbed with India, BRICS countries, right? Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China, and South Africa. Even among BRICS countries, India is the best. India is the greenest. So how does this work? How did they come up with this new green green index, green index, in which the carbon footprint is much lower than many other countries? Of course, United States and Canada and Russia and England and Germany and France are even worse because their carbon footprint is, is very, very heavy because of the heavy consumption, heavy utilization of natural resources that puts them even 
you know, much worse than, than Indian performance. So though, totally two different ways of measuring environmental performances. Now, now looking at the green decks a bit more, what does that have to do with Jainism? So coming to this slide now, what, what I found in my research is that if you look at the Indian practices of vegetarianism, for example, Indian low meat consumption, or Indian habits of minimizing the resources. You know, even today when we think of buying new furniture, for example, or, or uh, you know, buying anything new for that, for that matter, we try to minimize our requirements, definitely our wants. More and more Indians have been minimizing their requirements, their needs, their wants, and minimizing the meat consumption also for centuries in India. Both these, both these practices are rooted in dharmic teachings of Jainism and Hinduism and Buddhism also. Now look at the, the, these two graphs uh, to, 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 make, to, even more, to make it even more clear what I'm trying to say. Look at these two graphs. So meat consumption by selected country. If we see from 1961 to 2013, Indian meat consumption has been even lower than Kenya, definitely lower than China, UK, Canada, Brazil, and US. All of you can see this graph, right? I hope it is clear on the left side. Yes, sir. All right, good. Yeah, and then, okay. And then the other graph that you see on the lower uh, left corner of your screen, here it says, it, this is the graph for passenger car density in 2009. So if you see Italy in Italy, for example, there are 600 cars for every thousand, uh, for every thousand people, yes. Right? Then Germany has almost 500 cars for every thousand people. India has, as, as, as late as in 2009, is at the lowest level maybe like uh, 10 cars for every thousand uh, people, even less than China, less than Indonesia, South Africa, Mexico, Brazil, all of those countries have, have much more, you know, many, many more cars than in India. Now, this is not just about the, uh, it is not just that we are still a developing nation, but I think it also shows that if, if, if there is a chance, if there is a possibility, in one family, people would still like to do carpooling, and three or four people in the family can put, still like to do carpooling and still like to use public transport. That is the way Indian culture has had evolved for centuries and millennia. If we can do without meat consumption, we would be, we are very happy with our lentils and wheat and rice and fruits and vegetables. If our public transport works and if carpooling works, we are very happy not to have one car per person in family, which is very common, uh, for example, in, in America. So what these two habits are showing us is that it's not just because of the money, uh, you know, financial resources, but it is also because of the cultural habits that we have maintained these habits for for a long time. Even our millionaires and millionaires and billionaires would go would lead very simple life, would go walking uh, to their workplaces, would donate their charity, would donate their wealth for charity, and so on. So these two habits that are uh, that can be included as part of dharmic ecology, which which keeps our carbon footprint low are actually called as empty belly environmentalism. These are the, this is the term that was used by a very senior uh, scholar, Ramachandra Guha and John Martinez earlier in their 2013 book, in which they say that empty belly environmentalism actually works for the environment. It, it's helpful for the environment. It is to be celebrated. It is to be adopted. So that's coming from traditions such as Jainism and Buddhism and Hinduism. Now, when it comes to, so I already linked two of the practices with Jainism. So now if we look, take an even deeper uh, look into Jain cosmology, what it, what it teaches us, what it shows us is that Jain cosmos is made of this kind of a shape in which a human being is standing, apparently. 
with his hands his or her hands on the on the back on the you know central region of the body and the uppermost region is the siddhaloka which is the home of liberated beings between the uppermost layer and the center layer are the seven heavens and below the below the central region are the hells so siddhaloka then the devloka loka uh, and then the mid level is the home of humans and animals and then down below is the naraka home of hellish beings so siddhaloka then swargas and then the earth and then the nark narakas and then outside this universe is the aloka which is the space outside the, of the universe so outside of the universe aloka is infinite even in jain cosmology but loka the universe is limited is finite so that is a jain cosmology uh to look at the these these bullet points on your left siddhaloka then eight eight heavens then the manushaloka has three continents two oceans animals and humans then below the manushaloka below the earth region is the seven hells and all of this universe is filled with living beings which are the jivas which are the souls and souls have consciousness energy and bliss and then there are non living beings which are the karma particles so so all this cosmology what, what it tells us is that all the beings are interconnected in one way or the other because of the cycle of rebirth cycle of transmigration or punarjanam in which one's present can be linked with others past or future so because of this interlinking interlinked souls that are in the universe the jain siddh uh, jain loka that is why the jain uh, seers jain uh, tirthankars or jain sages they advocated for vegetarianism because we are all connected so we have no right to kill other beings because they are also connected with us through the cycle of transmigration so jain cosmology then indirectly uh, inspires jains to remain vegetarian uh, for for more than almost 3000 years now and with this influence with their influence largely uh, indian population overall because also because of buddhism and hinduism also kept their meat consumption very less compared to other countries so that is the link with jain cosmology and the habits that jains have prevailed for 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 many many millennia now another look at why jains have been vegetarians for for 3000 years the jain taxonomy says that all the beings in the universe can be categorized into into five categories first category says the beings that are that have only one sense of touch only what are those beings those are, those are the earth bodied beings water bodied beings fire and air bodies nigoda which is the one cell unit uh, such as amoeba and plants all of these are these have only one sense and these are immobile beings so notice that earth water fire and air are also considered living beings with with souls they also have souls then the next category is of touch and taste the two the the beings the the beings that have that have, that have two senses two senses that is worms leeches oysters and snails these have two two senses then the beings that such as insects and spiders that have three senses touch taste and smell then the next comes the beings such as butterflies flies and bees bees that have four four senses touch taste smell and see then finally the, the beings that are sentient and non sentient in which there we have birds reptiles mammals humans gods and demons these have five five senses so birds so, so notice that humans are equated with mammals humans are equated with reptiles birds gods that are in swargas and demons that are in narakas so so from jain argument from jain philosophical perspective to for our survival for our consumption if you are killing a mammal such as uh, let's say a goat or if you are killing a bird such as a chicken 
or if we are consuming any other any other being that is on on this category of five senses it is equal to killing a human being so that is why meat consumption was prohibited because of this taxonomy that jains came up with uh, and this i have taken from 11th century text by shanti suri called jeev vichar prakaranam this is the first time that that was categorically mentioned in 11th century that human beings have no privilege human beings are same as that 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 are there are mammals or reptiles or birds or even gods or demons when it comes to senses they can be sentient or non sentient but humans being beings are not to be uh, are, do not have any privilege to kill a reptile or a mammal or a bird for their human consumption what they can consume is only one sense being that is they have only touch sense the sense of touch so for human survival or human consumption you can take little bit little bit of earth minimal of water so do not even waste earth resources do not waste water resources do not waste fire resources or energy resources do not waste air resources and do not kill those plants that are uh, for, by which you are killing the entire plant so jains have avoided killing even a plant that is uh, such as carrot or or potato onion garlic many jains are still not consuming those uh, those food because those are coming from the roots or stems of the plants so you have, you have no right to kill the entire plant what are, what you are supposed to take is only the by product of a plant such as maybe a fruit that is falling off of a tree or some grains or lentils or wheat so minimize violence even in your consumption of plants minimize violence even in your consumption of air fire water or earth that is the jain argument why they have remained vegetarians for almost 3000 years so only one sense beings are to be to be to be consumed to be used and even among one sense beings be very careful as you uh, think of consuming any plant that is coming as a root or a stem so i hope that uh, summarizes the jain argument for vegetarianism and how it connects how it links with the with with our carbon footprint which is very less that is why the green dex index puts india as one of the greenest economies in the world because of the less meat consumption and this is the argument that is in the heart of the practices such as vegetarianism by jains especially all right so jainism is also uh, called a, a religious tradition with with three a's ahimsa aparigraha and anekantvad these are the main pillars of jain philosophy ahimsa non violence so non violence teaches that once the greatest dharma that one can have for earth for nature is to be non violent so be by non violence ahimsa parmo dharma is the biggest quotation that jains quote all the time this is the greatest dharma for one's karma so if our dharma if, if our dharma if, hmm. if our actions are non violent our that is that can be our greatest dharma for nature for 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 earth and for nature so that is the first teaching first philosophical principle that comes from jainism aparigraha means non accumulation so non accumulation means cut down on your needs cut down on your wants minimize the resources that are that are utilized for your consumption for your survival so that is that again correlates with nature for earth that your your less consumption less utilization of resources automatically leads into less and less carbon footprint that is all, so that means more and more uh, uh, more awareness for an, uh, living environmentally environmentally friendly then anekantvad which can be translated as many pointedness that is uh, usually uh, illustrated or exemplified with, by the story of of an of an elephant uh, uh, and six blind men or you know, six blind human beings that are trying to touch the elephant 
and everybody thinks that the elephant is like a trunk, like a tail, like a, his belly or like his ear, but everybody has a part, partial perspective and only by combining all the six perspectives, they get the final truth, final reality of the you know, comprehensive, the reality of the, of the elephant. Similarly, reality uh, in nature, reality in earth is also very comprehensive and we all have very limited perspectives. So Jain view says, Jain philosophy says that we should combine all the perspectives because reality always exists in plurality. So Professor Arvind Sharma, I'm quoting here, he says that plurality of reality equates with reality of plurality. Only with these multiple perspectives, if we combine them, then we come to the final reality. How does it uh, translate into sustainability? Is that uh, human being, a uh, human-centric view is only one perspective. Humans have no, no uh, monopoly or no privilege over consuming the na natural resources because elephants or animals or other animals, or other birds, insects, reptiles, they also have equal rights to use the, the same nat natural resources. So, uh, so instead of uh, forcing human uh, view on other species, we should combine all the perspectives. That is the way to live with more humility by accepting more, re uh, more uh, perspectives and not just to force one's own perspective as the final reality. So that these are the triple A's of three Ahimsa, Parigraha, Anekantvad. These are very uh, important for Jain practitioners, but they also can be correlated with environmentally friendly lives that, that, uh, that are to be lived by based on these three principles. Uh, now, the Jain role models are coming from their Tirthankaras. Jain Tirthankara, Tirthankar is the word, uh, which, are, which is sometimes translated as Ford maker. And Mahavir was last Tirthankar, but, but before Mahavir was Parshanath, before Parshanath was Neminath. So 22nd Tirthankar or Ford maker was Neminath. And all of these uh, role models that Jains have followed, they all responded to some violence being done to animals or reptiles. And out of that compassion, they changed their lifestyle completely. They were all born as princes. They were all living wealthy life, uh, royal life, but they all renounced their royal life. They all renounced their uh, kingdoms and wealth and family, and they all became ascetics. They all renounced even their clothing to, to that extent. So uh, Namina responds to animal slaughter and becomes a monk. Pashna responds to the burning of a snake and becomes a monk. Mahavi responds to cattle slaughter. Even as he's dying, even as at his last breath, he sends his uh, most favorite disciple to stop some cattle slaughter happening somewhere in that village, around their village in, in Pawapuri, Bihar, present-day Bihar, where he, where he passed away. In one of his statements, he said that trees are inherently valuable in Acharang Sutra in chapter 2nd and 4.2.1. Uh, long before science came up with this statement, Mahavira had already said in Acharang Sutra, also in chapter 1, that, that vegetation has life just as humans. So, you know, imagine these environmentally uh, conscious statements that are coming from all these Tirthankars role models for you know thousands of years before modern science came up with these kind of statements to 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 worry about biodiversity or to worry about uh, vegetation, plants, and whatnot. Similarly, other texts of Jain say that souls render service to one another in Tatvar Sutra, for example, and even in Bhagavati Sutra. Uh, so what it means is that we are not disconnected from other souls. We all should support, should help each other. We should serve each other. That is the way to live environmentally friendly life. And in Dash Vaikalika Sutra, uh, there is another statement which says that human beings should live like bees. Just as bees collect only small nectar from each flower instead of destroying the entire flower, if you look, if we learn, if you take that lesson from bees, we will also take very minimal that is needed for our bare minimum survival from nature instead of destroying the nature, instead of destroying an entire plant, instead of destroying an entire mountain, for example, or an entire, entire water body, 
will take only minimal what is needed that we should learn from bees and that is the way to live in this world. In Adipuran, another statement is very interesting in which they say that forests are like saints and we should plant trees for good karma. So tree plantation was being advocated by Jain texts hundreds and hundreds of years before modern uh, science also took it up and we are uh, now encouraging plantation of tree, planting of tree across the world now. So these are some of the you know, great role models in the texts and in the history and in other texts uh, that we that I thought I'll share that are very environmentally friendly that we, we that we get from Jainism. Now, uh, so Jain uh, role models we saw, Jain texts we saw, even Jain householders. If you if you look at Jain household householder lives, what kind of professions they lead? This is coming from Bhogo Pabhog Vrata, another text that is coming from Jainism, in which we they say that most Jain householders are prescribed to do. Uh, Jobs such as uh, trading or banking or commercial activities, clerical activities, diamond trading or traditional medicine, arts and crafts, government or, government or ruler kind of profession, manufacturing uh, activities, textiles or machines, publishing or media, education. These are all to be done by Jain householders. What is not to be done, what is not, uh, what is really prohibited by Jains is they cannot do charcoal, tra trading of charcoal, trading of timber, uh, pulling animals in carts trading of alcohol or slave trading, weapons trading, poisons are not to be uh, utilized in their, any of their professions. Uh, sugar canes or seeds are also prohibited. Firearms or fire trade is also prohibited. And even lake construction was prohibited for Jain householders for, for centuries. So again, the emphasis is on uh, relatively non-violent professions and careers and more violent professions, at least more Tangible, tangibly violent professions are were, were always prohibited for Jain householders over centuries that we get uh, for for even for householders from the Jain texts. Uh, then, if you compare Jain uh, philosophical ideas with modern modern scientific or modern philosophical perspectives, uh, Brian Swim is a contemporary philosopher, environmental philosopher, and uh, according to Brian Swim, material objects leads to consumerism. Consumerism leads to depression. Now his view matches very well with Jain Aparigraha, which means which says the similar thing that we should always try to cut down on our accumulation, cut down on our possession. That is the way to live a Jain Aparigraha based life with with minimum minimum uh, needs, minimum wants. Similarly, Brian Swim says Earth is alive, and Earth responds to our presence. Now that goes very well with the Jain idea that Earth has Earth-bodied beings also have souls, and Earth and water, air, and uh, and so on. Similarly, uh, Brian Swim says we should celebrate Big Bang, the event of Big Bang, because Big Bang is where we all, entire cosmos came out of Big Bang. So we are all uh, connected with, with single origin origin event, right? So we are all to be sort of, we that, that single event makes us all siblings, the entire cosmos, because we all came out of Big Bang. Now that goes also very well with Jain respect for all Jivas, because all Jivas have souls. All souls want to live. Nobody likes to be, likes to be hurt. And and uh, and because of the transmigration or punarjanam, all the beings are also interconnected in the entire cosmos. So that goes also very well with with what, what Brian Swim is saying, the Big Bang theory and the universal celebration of origin. Similarly, uh, Thomas Berry says that uh, Thomas Thomas Berry and David Abram are two contemporary philosophers. Also, uh, Berry says world is a communion of subjects, not a collection of objects. Right? Every everything or even every being has a, has an agency. They all want to re retain, remain freedom. They, they want to celebrate their liberty. Nobody likes to be treated as an object. 
And that goes very well with Jain view of soul in all beings, even including earth, water, air, and fire, and so on. So treat them also as if they are living, living beings. They also have souls. So do not just use them as an object. That goes very well with Thomas Berry's statement. Uh, Abram similarly says diversity of local forms is to be celebrated. And that goes well with Jain insistence of changing lifestyle, becoming more and more non-violent. Non Mahavir says we should change minds, not force change upon people, but try to inspire them by changing their minds. Trees as inherently valuable for beauty and strength. That goes also well with what Abram has been saying. Uh, then David Abram says role of senses is also be to, be, to be appreciated, to be acknowledged. And that goes very, very well with empiricism that is, to be, that is taught in Tatwar Sutra by Uma Swati in uh, a, 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 a most celebrated Jain text written in Sanskrit, accepted both by Digambars and by Shaitambars. That goes well with what David Abram has been saying, role of senses. So these are the three Western philosophers I thought I'll compare with Jain philosophical traditions and how they, 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 they can be compared, they can be matched with what, what Jainism, Jainism has been saying. Uh, then uh, the modern contribution, the biggest contribution of Jainism, I guess, uh, can be seen by Srimad Ratchandra, who lived from who lived in Gujarat from 1867 to 1901, and he corresponded with Mahatma Gandhi. When Mahatma Gandhi was in South Africa, he had several spiritual dilemmas, questions, and and doubts that he was not sure. So he used to write letters to Srimad Ratchandra from 1891 to 1895. They wrote many many letters over these six years. And from his, uh, from Srimad Ra Rachandra's teachings, Mahatma Gandhi adopted many, many principles, many ideas, and that became the hallmark of his, his entire life. So, inspired by Rachandra, Gandhi took Satya, Ahinsa, uh, uh, Aparigraha, Brahmacharya, uh, Purusharth, and Tapasya, all these, you know, translated into English, truth, truth and nonviolence, simplicity, celibacy, self-reliance, austerities, all these ideas he really took from uh, Srimad Rachandra and from other texts as well, but Srimad Rachandra was the closest that he came with, that, that he became uh, close uh, as a guru, as a spiritual guru. Although he did not accept him, uh, he did not declare that Srimad Rachandra is my guru, but by, by the influence, by the correspondence that they had, they both had for six years, I think it can be seen that Srimad Rachandra had the biggest influence on Mahatma Gandhi and Gandhi took these ideas and that became not just for his life, but the entire move, movement that he led against the British Raj. Now, if you look at Gandhi's life, and this is this I'm uh, taking from Professor Vinay Lal at UCLA in California, and he says that Gandhi's life can be seen as an ecological treatise. Gandhi's meals was very small, very small meals. Gandhi would practice these mon vratas, these silence vows for, for an extended period of time. Gandhi would always walk, almost like a Jain monk or a Jain nun. His walking was his meditation. He would dictate his letters to his colleagues and that the, his walkings his walks, his daily walks, his morning walks and evening walks were very prominent in his entire life. He cultivated the small with the big. If you, if you, remember, if you remember the Gandhi film, the Hollywood Gandhi film, you know, here is the big meeting going on with Subhash, uh, Jawaharlal Nehru and Sadar Patel and all. And Gandhi would leave that meeting and take care, of the small, take care of the small goat because goat is hurt and his leg is hurting. Gandhi would take care of the goat first and then go come back to the meeting, cultivation of the small. Spinning wheel, Gandhi's entire, you know, many, many images, especially in India, we have seen, Gandhi's always seen in this spinning wheel. Now, spinning wheel was, was a big statement that I will make my own clothing. Instead of just criticizing the British corporate policies, I will live, that, live a life that would become exemplary, become a role model, that I can live a life which is self-reliant. I can make my own clothes. So that became a statement of Swadesh, Swadeshi for the for entire Indian population at that time in 40s and, and 30s and 40s.
and then abhorrence of waste uh, gandhi's son apparently lost a piece of small piece of pencil one night and gandhi lost his sleep for the entire night that where did i go wrong that my my son is not recognizing the importance of a small piece of pencil why how can he waste that how can he lose that so that kind of abhorrence of waste now we are only waking up to that now when the environment is 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 so severely stressed that especially in america now people are realizing here that you know we should minimize waste and so on but gandhi's life well, you know gandhi was a proto environmentalist much before much ahead of his time and his many things that he practiced were based in the principles that he learned from shrimad rachandra so that i like to say uh, that there is a sort of intangible link from mahavir swami to shrimad rachandra from shrimad rachandra to mahatma gandhi from mahatma gandhi to uh, dr martin luther king in america and nelson mandela in south africa so this tradition of non violence and environmentally conscious life non violent life is the tradition going on from mahavir to mahatma gandhi to martin luther king to nelson mandela and so relevance of non violence and environmentally conscious life will always remain relevant it's it's all, always going to be relevant and and uh, the jain philosophy jain tradition has much much to contribute and gandhi's example is is one of the biggest examples that we have and how he has inspired many other leaders across the world in south africa and in america uh in in jains in america what they're doing uh, as a as their practices uh something that they're doing is that their their temples in california texas new jersey uh, have all gone uh, solar so they are more and more using renewable energy for example they are also supporting cattle sanctuaries in america just as jains and hindus have been supporting many many thousands of cattle sanctuaries goshala what we call or pinjar pole what we call in india across india thousands of such pinjar poles where even a sick cattle or a diseased cattle diseased cattle can also come and and they, they will be taken care of something similar is happening now in america also in michigan colorado new york where there are these goshala or cattle sanctuaries where cattle are are treated with with all the love and and, and care uh, jains are also very active in vegetarian societies across america promoting vegetarianism in america many jain youths are now becoming vegans even beyond vegetarian they are shunning even the dairy products so they are becoming vegan vegans across america and across the world now so these are some of the things that jains are are still practicing across the world even outside outside india uh yeah so this is uh, just a summary of what uh, what i presented as a history of jains in america so first jain to arrive in america was virchand gandhi who came with with the swami vivekananda in 1893 uh jain temples i already mentioned jains uh jainism is also becoming more popular in american universities jains are also active uh, leading in diamond trade in america and uh, in healthcare as well as in uh, many museums are now showing art historical objects also uh, from jains these are some of the saints uh, male and female monks and nuns that are that have been prominent in last 200 years uh and uh, th- that is all that i wanted to show and uh, now i'd love to take more of your, more of your questions that would uh, would be, make hopefully make it even more interesting what i want to share what i want to present to you so i welcome your questions now thank you sir for your enriching session now we can start our q and a session so students if you have any question please ask professor jain Sure. Yes. Hmm. Or even from colleagues, faculty. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. 
Shall I have a question to you, Dr. Jay? Sure. Not a question. Uh, I'm just uh, looking seriously. Of course, fantastic presentation, a wonderful panoramic view of uh, what uh, Jains uh, have done it and what they've contributed across the world. Yeah, uh, extremely uh, intriguing. Uh, the Why it is such a powerful philosophy like Ahimsa Parma Dharma, constantly culturally so elevating in India, why is it taking so much time for people to imbibe and making it not, I wouldn't use the word glamorous or making it popular, but what is it that according to you are the reasons for uh, not getting into, you know, uh, into every, every nook and corner of the world? Uh, why is the whole thing has been so gradually slow? Any particular reason that comes to your mind? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more? What, what do you mean? It's uh, slow. It's, uh, sit in slow in the sense like it's such a powerful philosophy. And already the, uh, we are talking today about uh, the planet has uh, damaged and we have to now rectify it. Uh, mm -hmm. The whole uh, attitude of uh, damaging or, you know, stripping the resources, which are all against our philosophy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it, it has happened in India also today, as much as you're talking about from this, uh, in uh, in US. Uh, mm -hmm. Here also the amount of waste. I will not be very generous in my comments saying that we are better than. <laughs> here also has been a lot of nonsense in Indian, uh, you know, in, among the Indians. Mm -hmm. And over a period of time, we have just woken up very slow. I, I think mm -hmm. as a message, if you can give to the youngsters, we should not repeat those kind of. Uh, mistakes or errors, uh, so right, that we right. hold on to these values, uh, you know, very strongly and continue it because these are the torchbearers that we have with us. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you yeah. already, I think you already summarized, ma'am, very nicely that we all have to get to learn these uh, principles, philosophies more seriously, and as uh, teachers, uh, we if we can share more and more with our students, they are the torchbearers for future and. Uh, more and more understanding, more and more discussion on these topics like this, like what we are having now. I think we all have to learn from each other and we all have to practice these things. That is the way to to say whatever is left. But thankfully, we still have some very powerful examples, powerful, uh, great, uh, what should I say, really interesting examples that, that come from India. For example, uh, India is the only country in the world other than African continent where we still have large mammals such as rhinoceros and lions. What is it in India that we can, with 1.5, or I don't know, 1.4 billion people in such a small uh, area, you know, compared to China or US or Russia, we are such a small country by area. So our, our resources are so severely limited. And yet we have these large beasts among us, lions and rhinoceros. Why they are all extinct from all the other rest of the countries? Africa is the exception, of course. What is it in us that as soon as you cross our national boundary, right? So I come from Rajasthan. If I cross the boundary of India and go to the other side, all those black bugs, deers, uh, deer or uh, other birds, flora and fauna is gone from other side. But in India, they are all still intact. If I went to Jaisalmer yeah, in 2018, it is, it is still full of bushes. Still, I still see rabbits and deer and black bugs. Full of them. Why? Because of people such as Bishnois, they are fully vegetarians. They would they would fight with the Salman Khan or anybody else, not just Salman yeah. Khan. They have been <laughs> fighting with true. so many hunters and poachers over centuries that they have made sure that all the flora and fauna in the desert 
Now, Thar Desert is the is the most dense densely populated desert in the world. Why? Why? Because we love to we love to stay with oh, our no. animals and birds. Yeah. Go the to the other extreme of India. Said. Go to other extreme of India. Go to the eastern side. If we go to, I've not been, I've not yet been to Sundarbans. I would, I would love to go. In Sundarbans, I've heard stories that even cannibals, even man-eating tigers, ma'am, are not to be killed by the people living in Sundarbans because of the Bon Bibi. Bon means one forest. One becomes yeah. born in Bengali. Yeah. BB means yeah. ma'am or Devi, right? Forest goddess, Bon BB. Because Bon BB rehti hai jangalo mein, hum tiger ko nahi maar sakte. Even if those tigers are coming oh. and hunting us, killing us, but tigers ke saath rehna hai humko. I went to, I went to Gir, uh, yes, Gir forest, the lion forest in Gujarat, just yeah, uh, three yeah. months back in Gujarat. And there what I found is that there is a um, uh, community that lives with lions in the forest, Gir forest. Because of these, this, Amazing harmony, amazing coexistence. We have been able to save our rhinoceros in Assam, our lions and gear in Gujarat, and many, many others in, in, in Himalayas, for example. Chipko movement, another example I'll give you, Chipko movement uh, in Himalayas, right? So uh, we just lost Sundarlal Bhaguna, the great Gandhian philosopher, environmentalist. Yeah. And he and uh, other leaders of Chipko, Chandri Prasad Bhatt and all, they could make sure, even with such a heavy pressure from our population, even today in Himalaya, thousands and thousands, millions of trees are intact. Uh, up, above a certain height, they, nobody has any right or privilege to cut any tree in Himalayas. Imagine the pressure that we have, our industrial pressure, our population. Why we can save our trees? Why we can save our animals? Because so many things we have still preserved, thanks to our traditions such as Jainism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and many other indigenous traditions, tribal traditions, Bheel community. I went to Bheel community villages, many, many, you know, hundreds of, thousands of people living in these hundreds of villages. And in the middle of nowhere, there would be a small section of forest. And in the, inside that forest, there is a small temple. The temple is mandir, hai, ped nahi mein. If there is a temple, nobody will cut the tree. These are sacred groves across India, again, Kerala and across India. So, so, so many other things that is helping us. And we all have to make sure that we share with these these great examples continue this, continue. continue this continue this teach this share this so that we can preserve whatever is left we still have so much to preserve yes yeah thank you I also, I also liked your idea of you know getting back to a minimalistic living okay. not to generally throw away the resources whosoever's exactly. money it is whether it's a father's money or the nation's money yes or the exactly. or the nature's resource Exactly. Uh, that attitude of minimalistic, I think it was a wonderful take-home lesson for all of us. Uh, it is students, now uh, it's all your turn. Uh, yeah. Right. Yes. For students, yes. I would like to share this. Minimalism as a word is really catching fire in America. Yes. Youngsters, so-called millennials or Gen, uh, Gen Z, right? They have this minimalistic attitude now. They don't like to buy huge houses. They live in a very small house and they're always mobile. Wherever they have, they have opportunity, they like to move and they live in this minimalistic attitudes. So if you Google for minimalism, you'll you'll get to know more American pages than than Indian pages. So you make sure you Google for minimalism. Yes. Uh, uh, it's some Dr. Kamla Srinivas from here, yes. Department of Philosophy, sir. Uh, thank you for a wonderful, wonderful talk. In fact, uh, let me also uh, tell you uh, that uh, we have another paper in the six units philosophy that we teach at the third year level, which is called as Living Ethical Issues. And uh, in that, environmental philosophy is uh, dealt in greater detail. And there, uh, we happen to engage with students with religious views. And um, 
and they get to explore about the various religious views. And as you rightly pointed out uh, through your talk, that how important it is to have a perspective uh, from the background of religion uh, to understand the concept of nature itself and uh, further to explore human nature as well as uh, and ecology. So these are very emerging a kind of environmental consciousness which is in the work. My question to you is, having said that, having observed, made that observation through your presentation, my question to you is, we know that, yes, in America, as academicians and scholars, we know that in America, religious studies is, again, uh, held very high. Uh, mm -hmm. So we don't have, I, do, I don't think so, any university where we find philosophy, the word, uh, you know, featuring as frequently or as popularly as religious words is. So how do you think uh, Indic studies or religious studies uh, can, um, you know, can benefit uh, the Indian population in uh, America? And how, as, as you've been teaching, uh, how many students do you have for these subjects? And are they again Indian majority or is it again other cultural background who are there? I would like to know that. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, very interesting question. Yes, religious studies or Department of Religions are actually spreading in America. Uh, all government-funded universities, public universities, have this Department of Religion. So where I've been teaching in, in Texas, for example, for a decade, this is a public university. And so there is a BA in religion, BA in philosophy also, and BA in religion also. So many, many universities here in America have these kind of departments. So they teach all religions there, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism. Jainism is a late entry, but they're also uh, encouraging more and more, more and more Jainism studies as well here also. So students are... Uh, Religion is a big, uh, I, I guess, much bigger uh, industry in America than in India because religion and media and religion and politics is even more tightly integrated in, in, in America. So, uh, so many students will do BA in religion and then will do go for MA in journalism. So yeah. journalism and religion become a nice combination and they, may, they make their career out of that. Yeah. So that's how, or, or many religious students, uh, BA in religion, after that they will choose to become uh, you know, their church leader, they will maybe get a uh, MA or PhD in Christianity and become a church leader. So church is a heavily funded uh, organization in America and they will go out across the world, do their missionary activities. And so, so religion is much more, much prominent and much more, I guess, uh, organized because of organized being an organized religion. It, it has much more value for formal education, formal degree for religion in America than in India. India, religion is like a very personal choice. And it is not really, you know, you, you cannot really make living out of religion. But in America, it's possible. Yeah, that is the true. Yeah. True, we can see that. So we have yes, some scope yes. for students if they seriously engage with religious religious studies. We yes, have another yes. applied component paper, uh, comparative study of religions, and that's where we take on them from the most uh, formal religions to the indigenous and the tribal. Mm. Take on onto that uh, kind of an uh, background then on and um, students, this is a reminder that you have an option to unmute and ask questions, please. Sure. Yeah, in fact, uh, thank you, Kamla, ma'am. I was just about to... Hello, sir. Uh, this is Vrishali Gupte, assistant professor in, from Department of Philosophy. And it was a wonderful, wonderful talk, sir. It was pleasure listening to you. Um, and as Kamla ma'am mentioned, we have comparative study of religions for the second year students. Um, and yes, there we discuss about different religions. We compare 
religions based on their uh, background, historical background, uh, the ethics, uh, the teachings, doctrine, tenets, all those things we compare and contrast. And we try to understand that religion in more depth uh, rather than the superficial understanding of what the religions, uh, you know, the religious people have, you know, in today's times. So Jainism is one of the religion that we discuss in detail. And it was uh, a wonderful, uh, you know, insightful kind of, you know, understanding from your uh, side, sir. And I'm sure that students are going to uh, take that message home and we are going to have a more engaging discussion in our classroom. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. Any questions from students end? We would like to hear it out from your end. Yeah. What has today's lecture, you know, given an impression to you? Because your impressions are very important. Shreya? And Hindi is okay also. Hindi is my mother tongue, so okay. I don't mind. They're fine. <laughs> They're fine because we communicate in English only. So okay. that's a formal language. I've got a question. Great. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, uh, sir, you just mentioned in the very beginning that India is one of the greenest. Uh, India has got a lot of greenery. So, uh, like, in uh, in order to, like, still we have got this problem of constant air pollution. So, like, is, is, it, is it something related to culture of every state, we can say? That culture of every city is also like contributing in many good things and bad things. What's your take on this one? Right, right. So, uh, greenest, when I mentioned, this was the Green Deck survey that is done by National Geographic uh, Survey, the National Geographic magazine coming from America. Uh, green, not literally green, uh, it doesn't mean literally greens, uh, more trees. What it meant is that because Indian carbon footprint is the lowest compared to all the major economies of the world. So India is living most environmentally friendly life. Indians are living most environmentally friendly life in the world compared to China, Brazil, Russia, UK, France, Germany, U USA, Canada, Mexico, and Australia, and so on. That is what it meant. I mean, it doesn't mean that India has more trees than, than other economies, other countries. But we need more trees, right? With all, with your help, with all of your, all of us doing our job, our duties. I think we should be planting more trees. But we still have ways to go. We still have ways to go. Yes. Yes, guys. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so my question is, um, like, we have two perspectives. Like, since our school times, we have taught about the scientific sides of climate change and environment. And right now, I, I heard about the philosophical part of uh, environmental uh, conservation. So uh, what I'm asking is. Um, what do you think should be taught to uh, us kids or the coming generation first? The philosophical way or the scientific way? Like, what should be the base? Mm. Uh, I would say, you know, I don't know if there is a, it needs to be prioritized in a way. Why can't it go simultaneously? Uh, especially in the U.S., uh, and in the new education policy in India also, I think it's coming more and more that uh, humanities are to be taught even to science students. So philosophy or religious studies, I think, is the best way to integrate with scientific studies also. Mm. So, uh, and, and, you know, simultaneous study is what I would argue for, instead of saying this come first or that come first. Why can't we do both together? You know, a subject 
साइंस का हो और एक सब्जेक्ट फिलोसफी रिलीजन का हो वी शुड ऑल स्टडी ऑल सब्जेक्ट वाई लिमिट स्पेशली एट दिस यंग स्टेज दैट यू यू ऑल आर ऑल स्टूडेंट्स अंडर ग्रेजुएट्स ग्रेजुएट्स यू शुड बी ओपन टू ऑल आइडियाज राइट यू हैव टू स्टडी हिस्ट्री यू हैव टू स्टडी साइंस यू हैव टू स्टडी फिलोसफी रिलीजन फिल्म स्टडीज आर्ट हिस्ट्री everything is is to be to be grabbed as much as you can fill your mind with with great information great knowledge this is the time to build your career so you know why even limit i know when you are in overseas uh, you would love to hear your uh, hometown uh, spoken language so anyone who wants <laughs> to address sir and make him feel comfortable at home uh, talking to sure. him you can go ahead please hindi mein pooch sakte hain hindi bol sakte hain koi baat bilkul ji मॉडर्नाइजेशन और इंडस्ट्रियलाइजेशन बट सो फार सुंदरबंस आर प्रोटेक्टिंग द 
ecology of West Bengal. Because of Sundarbans, we have, I think, less uh, effects such as tsunami on West Bengal. Otherwise, those mangroves are protecting the ecology of West Bengal. So it's a very, very interesting. Every part of India is so fascinating, so intriguing. You can never explore India in one lifetime. Many, many lifetimes you need. <laughs> so I have made my mission to go to every part of India. I have been to almost every part of India except Sundarbans. And for a few more space, uh, places are left. But I'm on a mission to explore entire India in terms of its ecology, its history, its cultural traditions. Especially you all being so young, you have full life ahead of you. Go and explore. Write papers on Sundarbans. Teach the world about Sundarbans. What is Sundarbans? Right? Teach the world about Vishnuis. Teach the world about Gir forest in Gujarat. Why? 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 You should have this question. Why lions are present only in India? Only in Gujarat, nowhere else except Africa. Why rhinoceros are present only in Assam, nowhere else in the world? What is so unique about India that we have preserved our, our wildlife so, so carefully? Yes, thank uh, you for your question. Next, uh, on that line, uh, there is something called a lived experience coming up also. So many of these researchers and scholars are trying to, as you rightly pointed out, how these um, Anglo, uh, you know, um, imperial kind of uh, categories are played uh, mm. to us. And yes, yes. these categories are again used to report and, um, and reach those kind of understandings. So the lived yes. experience, as you said, born baby, is something like a category. Mm. So you try yes. to explore amidst the living conditions of the people and understand how do they address their surrounding, their environment. Yes. So there are yes, many scholars yes. in India who are working on this, sir. So yes. again, an opening for all our students. Yes. Get yes. into the uh, grassroots level and right. see how people are. So as you rightly said, it is very fascinating to know how people and uh, communities are living amidst the nature. There is mm -hmm. a kind of a variety in northeast regions in Assam, mm -hmm. as you said, since yes. I've been to Assam and Kaziranga. And uh, yes. that's with the rhinoceros. Now they have actually, uh, you know, made their coexistence and cohabitation with the natural surroundings. Mm -hmm. So that is being explored a lot. So this is another opening marina for you if you're thinking of yes. something like environmental yes. philosophy or environmental consciousness as your future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. And my area has been environmental philosophy, sir. So my thesis okay. is on environmental philosophy. So that's okay. how I could really connect with when you said all these concepts uh, and the minimalism idea that is coming from various perspectives, be it from Jainism or Hinduism or Buddhism or the world yes. religions for that matter. Yeah. Yes. yes. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yes, sir. I have a question. Uh, I, I mean, I just want to know the reason why is Jainism not widely accepted as compared to other traditions like Hinduism and Buddhism? Is it because of their ascetic ideal, because of the rigidity? And I mean, what is it? Why is it not recognized just as like Hinduism and Buddhism, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, the principles of Jainism have percolated, I think, in wider Indian population also, you know, wider Hindu population and so on. Uh, Buddhism uh, also became almost, uh, Buddhism almost, almost vanished from India when the Shankara started his movement of revival of Hinduism, uh, you know, more than thousand years ago. Buddhism had to also merge with Hinduism and Buddha was incorporated as the ninth incarnation of Vishnu. And then because of other events that were happening across uh, northwest of India and so northwest of South Asia, 
Buddhists had to leave India and then Buddhists went to Tibet, from Tibet to China, China to Japan, and Theravada Buddhism went into Southeast Asia. So Buddhism most likely, mostly all disappeared from India. But Jainism survived in India, even as Buddhism vanished. But Jainism remained, always remained a minority tradition within, within the land of what was Hind or Hindustan or now India. Because of the yeah, rigorous ascetic practices uh, and many, many overlaps with uh, Hindu and Buddhist philosophies, so many ideas or many Jains are now, many Jains have been calling themselves Hindus. So they don't even make, make, make this distinction, including me. <laughs> so uh, it's very hard to really gauge the number of actual Jains because you know, they have no problem in calling themselves Hindu also. Uh, but still, yes, it has remained a, a minority religion because of the rigorous practice of asceticism and not easy to live with the fasting and the other rigorous practices that that uh, that Jain, Jain saints have taught for, for millennia. Yes. Okay. Hope that answers the question. Yes. Nandita Murli Vasudevan has her hand up. Yeah, yes, yes, Nandita. Uh, yes, ma'am. I had a question about the ahimsa part. So, is self-defense justified? Not only against self-defense from other humans, but defense, self-defense from annoying insects like mosquitoes. Is that also <laughs> not okay? <laughs> uh, it goes, I think, it can be, I think the idea, you are all philosophy students, so Philosophically, the idea is to minimize violence at every instance, right? So let's say a mosquito is bothering me. So one instinctual response can be killing the mosquito right there, right? The other, other response can be that I change my position. I, I move away from the mosquito, from, from that mosquito, and I try not to hurt that mosquito or myself, right? The other response can be that mosquito let not let the mosquito not even enter the room where I'm sitting. So prevention of the violence, right? So it all goes, and if I did, let's say if I did by instinct, I killed that mosquito in one instance, that should give me a lesson, that should give me some remorse, that next time I will try not to kill that mosquito and try to adopt my lesser violent means. It is always a journey, right? I think nobody is perfect. We're all on a journey. Even Gandhi was not, nobody's perfect. Gandhi was not perfect. Gandhi also evolved. And he, uh, you know, there was a there was a big debate actually about cattle in in Ahmedabad. So one cow was very sick in Ahmedabad, and Gandhi, imagine, you know, decades before euthanasia came into our our, uh, our lexicon, Gandhi said that that cow should be killed. If cow is suffering, just euthanize without using the word euthanize. Gandhi said euthanize that cow, kill that cow, because why should that cow suffer if it is going to die anyway? It is suffering from the disease. The Orthodox Jains were very upset. How can you uh, uh, be, how can you disrupt a life cycle of a cow? Gandhi has no right in interfering the life trajectory of a cow, even, uh, even of a cow. Let cow take its own course. Let the, let karma decides, let the karma decide the, the cycle of life for, for that, even for that cow. Now, which is right? Who is right? Is Gandhi right? Or the orthodox Jains who were opposing Gandhi, are they were they right? Who has to decide? So it's it's an open debate, right? So what is our response to such suffering or such like you said violence or or let's say a if a tiger in in Sundarbans is coming to kill me, what should I do? Should I kill the tiger? Should I move away from tiger? Should I prevent tiger somehow? 
these are all you know these are not there is no easy yes or no answer we all are evolving we all have to just keep keep thinking that how can i minimize violence if i'm let's say if i'm killing uh let's say if i'm killing a carrot uh, if i'm eating a carrot so an orthodox then would say no don't eat carrot because carrot is the root of that plant you're killing the entire plant so if, if you're really hungry instead of a carrot maybe eat a mango mango at least you're not killing the entire plant you're just taking a byproduct of the, of that plant or just take a one banana instead of killing the entire plant right so and then uh, on on certain days let's let's say 8th or 14th day of the lunar month go completely hungry go complete do complete fast so avoid all kinds of violence violence towards even towards a mango towards a banana towards even wheat towards lentil avoid all kinds of violence avoid complete food go completely hungry do, practice fasting so that's the next step right as i said it's a journey so avoid carrot then avoid vegetables avoid even food avoid even water because water is also living water also has soul so so really strict gens would avoid even water when they are fasting including my own grandmother so it's always a journey who has to decide who is right who is wrong it's always a journey hope that answers the question shreya yeah shreya uh, yes ma'am uh, so sir i wanted to ask is abortion ethical from the perspective of jainism okay another sort of similar answer i would give that uh, this i have watched in the documentary called ahimsa there is a documentary called ahimsa on youtube you can watch it. it's a greatly made, greatly made documentary by michael tobias in california now thankfully it's on youtube i'm not sure if it is legal or or not i don't know but i, I it is available now on youtube and in which a monk is saying that a late stage abortion is prohibited in across ethical traditions across all religious traditions because that is really violence that is really killing of a child right but uh, uh but an early stage uh should be a choice for the mother that is coming from a jain monk now again who is to decide this these are all big ethical open ended questions and i'm i'm not the final word nobody is the final word i think on the on such such issues such questions it's left to individual judgment individual philosophical positioning that is why i think philosophy as a subject has much to contribute so it makes us think all these questions right there is no easy answer you always have to keep thinking keep thinking and keep applying different perspectives anekantvad this that is where anekantvad comes in also right is the health of a uh, health of that uh, fetus more important health of the mother more important or honor of the family more important what is more important who has to decide so all of these perspectives we have to combine some that person has to combine and that take come up with the decision no no uh, no yes or no answer i think right okay sir thank you so much yeah oh. good morning sir it was a very nice talk i quite enjoyed it my question is uh, it's more like a very it's a little vague because um, when we talk about sustainability there is there are uh, the most crucial parts would be education but also economy like i think a big difference is that in america a lot of people think that you know uh, man is a superior being and therefore they deserve to eat meat and whereas yes. uh, here although we in india we are leaving much less of a carbon footprint but mm -hmm. i think some of us don't have a choice like most of like a lot of people the lower classes and the lower uh, income classes they can't afford to own their own cars and things like that because our economy mm -hmm. is not that good 
so what's your opinion on this like how do we improve it like just uh, the ethical perspective is not enough right so how do we incorporate it like you can cover the education aspect but what about the economy mm-hmm. yeah so uh, right so now i think time has come and people are already adopting the economy and ecology have to go together also right we cannot put economy first and ecology later or ecology first and economy later for for india's case for example i think right so i think there are now many many green jobs are coming up right so, or, or renewable energy based choices are coming up also so with with more renewable energy based uh, energy coming in i think it will be more easier for even for so called lower classes to go and own uh, completely you know zero carbon footprint cars for example it would be possible hopefully soon in in near future uh, and and if if there is if there is zero carbon footprint then i think it's okay to go for for uh, for example electric cars and if do, if that car is being charged by renewable energy then it then it should be okay i think then economy and ecology can go together and people would be afford would be able to afford afford these things without polluting their environment time is not yet time has not yet come even for america even here now people have not adopted electric cars wholeheartedly because they are one they are very very expensive and uh, other they you know people are just have you know not so much acceptance for a for a car that is you know always limited by the by how many miles it can go on on one charge and and many other things so it is it is still again i think evolving and uh, and more and more such alternative uh, ideas as they become more widespread more cheaper then i think the you know, lifestyle and ecology and economy would all hopefully come come in sync it is still developing i think hope that answers your question okay sir thank you thank you <clears throat> any other questions students all right i think we'll stop now yeah so it was really a very interactive session sir and before uh, ending it as uh, i i would like to invite our uh, another colleague professor kamla ma'am for vote of thanks official vote of thanks so uh, kamla ma'am over yeah. to you yeah thank you thank you shika uh, if i have to These do are- these are a techno guru by the way i call her my techno guru <laughs> yeah that is an added tag <laughs> okay if i have one take home message from your lecture dr jain it is uh, how again um, we look at life i think so for that your lecture has given us a message on how we need to alter our attitude because i believe personally attitude is the way we look at life and therefore it is a way you choose to see and respond uh to events situations people and ourselves too <clears throat> so therefore as you said the choice that you make is what is important as a few of our students have asked this question regarding uh, how do we balance economy ecology and how do mm. we also so we have a big challenge in india because we are an emerging economy and a developing country we cannot compromise Uh, we have to be still high on our um, you know less of carbon footprint amidst all those challenges as you pointed out through your talk the minimalist approach the cohabitation existence all these are something which has been uh, part of our culture and ecology culture and religion goes a long long way uh, so that's my take home value 
on that note, on on behalf of the Department of Philosophy, on the behalf of our principal, Dr. Roma Shankar, and on my personal behalf, I would really like to extend uh, my sincere and our sincere thanks to you for engaging us for almost like one and a half hours, in spite of it being late night in US. Uh, thank you for uh, your time and your valuable input and uh, enlightening us as well as our students onto this understanding of uh, how in uh, towards the sustainability you know, goal that we globally are aiming towards, how can um, an Eastern religious perspective, which is Indian perspective on the sustainability goal can add on to that uh, value and it can take us long, long way in conservation, preservation and coexistence. Thank you very much for that, Isa. This uh, event couldn't have been possible uh, because we have just now recently added our dear friend and colleague, uh, Ms. Shikha Sharma, to our department. She's just recently joined well, one month ago. And uh, when we were just trying to figure out the academic plan of the year, she, uh, I just happened to ask her, can she bring in some kind of a known resources, resource people whom she knows, whom she has interacted in the past. So she said very well, willingly she came forward. So thank you to Shikha to uh, invite uh, for us Dr. Jain and uh, have a kind of a medium to interact with Dr. Jain and his knowledge uh, expertise that is that he has. Uh, and also thank you, I would really like to mention here, as Shikha mentioned in the opening remarks, without Uma Ma'am's support and encouragement and this kind of a, you know healthy atmosphere that she has created for us, uh, in, uh, in our department level or even at the institutional level because she heads the institution too. Uh, so the kind of a, a positive uh, vibe that she has created, the kind of mutual interaction that we are freely, we can approach her and ask for anything. So without her support, this could not be possible. Another mention about our management, which has very graciously given us this Microsoft Teams as a platform. Uh, not stopping us from engaging lectures and holding webinars like this, guest talks like this. So uh, sincere gratitude and thank you to our management also who has given us this platform to engage and connect virtually with, uh, with our lectures, with our teaching, learning, evaluations and uh, hold such events in large scale. And lastly, not the least, my dear students, your presence, mm -hmm. your involvement, your readiness to accept these invitations and readily be there for, uh, you know, on time and participate like this, interact, discuss, because these discussions are going to be something which is shaping your future life, your future choices. So attitude is the way of life today, my dear students. So on that hope, uh, many more such lectures we are going to engage. And uh, I would again like to remind you, Dr. Jane, that we would really want to welcome you once you are in India and you are in our neighborhood in Pune. We would really love to have you at SIS and we will personally interact. Thank you very much. Thank you everyone for making this. Ma'am, can we take a group photo before yes. we end? With yes. the students, yeah, with us. Yes, and it is uh, accessible. So students, you can switch on your camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Shika. Yeah. Yeah. We can so you have to take the photo because, yes. yeah. We are, we are, Switch, students, can I request you to switch on your camera, please? Students, you have the access now.
Pranav, Riya, please switch on your cameras. Nandita, Marina. Very nice if you do that. Yeah. I can see slowly students are doing it. Yeah. Still not many more. Yes, very good. Some more Anushka Ria. Okay, <laughs> oh, that is yeah. Sean yeah. Abhishek. What about Abhishek? Pranav is there. Pushi Akansha. Personal invitation, yeah. <laughs> Elena, I, I can see Elena. Okay, there we go. Say cheese, everyone. Some more, still joining. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, ma'am. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> um, thank you, Professor Jan. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. TY students, I think so. I can have your Plato's lecture scheduled. With the psychology, I'm readjusting at two o'clock. So see you all at two o'clock. Bye, ma'am. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you at two.